want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and I want to look with, look with you at a, a few verses um, that are truly, if I could say, epic when it comes to where we live our lives on a daily basis. Uh, this passage has served me very well, not just in counseling others, but counseling my own heart. And uh, it doesn't seem like there's, uh, you, you can go too long in your spiritual life, um, in your relationship with your spouse, relationship with your children, relationship with uh, maybe people in your community, at work, um, uh, even here in the church, without having to uh, grapple with the practical implications of James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Let me read them to you um, as we begin. James writes, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Father, help us this morning as we grapple with the practical implications of what your spirit inspired James to write here that is so helpful, uh, that is so down to earth, so real, tangible. Um, Lord, and I ask that you would grant us grace to uh, make application of these uh, principles in our lives right now, no matter what we're going through. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, parents play many roles in the life of their children. If you're a parent, sometimes you're a cook, a maid, a nurse, doctor, taxi driver, counselor, coach, teacher, tackling dummy, right? Whatever the need might be at the moment. And when your kids are young, it seems like you're constantly playing the role of referee. Anybody can relate to that, that have younger children? Yeah, it's, you're the ref, right? You might as well just walk around with a striped shirt all day, right? You know how it is. Ladies, you're in the kitchen trying to make dinner, or guys, you're sitting on the couch trying to read your paper or watch a TV show or catching up on ESPN or whatever, and the little angels are playing nicely in their rooms when all of a sudden World War III breaks out. And you hear it. I want it. No, I had it first. It's mine. No, it's not. Ah! You know, and you, you just, and you, so you immediately jump up, right? And, and you run to the battlefront to assess the damage, to administer justice, and to restore peace in your home. And the first question we typically ask is why are you fighting? And what we really want to know is what they're fighting over. What are you fighting over? Is it a toy? Is it a book? Is it a certain colored crayon, right? A TV show? The last cookie? What, what is it you're fighting over? But what we should really want to know is what they're fighting for. Big difference between what you're fighting over and what you're fighting for. In other words, what did they want that they didn't get and why didn't they ask for it rightly? You see, what appears to be an external fight between 
children is really an internal fight within two children. It's not really a fight between two children. It's a fight within two children. They wanted something they didn't get, and so they fight or they fuss about it because they haven't learned to ask right for what they want. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, right? That's typically how kids are, right? Instead of, would you mind if I have that? May I have that, please, right? And so with children, it's, it's really easy to see why they fight, right? We, we, we can see that. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out what's going on here. But with adults, when adults fight, it appears more difficult to determine the source of the fight. And again, fights frequently break out between husbands and wives, parents and children, brothers and sisters, between people in a subdivision, between workers in an office building, members in a church, even between countries in the world. And the question is, what causes all these fights? Like everywhere you turn, there's a fight somewhere, whether it's in your home or another country, there's a fight going on, right? Well, James gives us the answer in these three verses, and apparently... The Christians that James was writing to here were having a hard time getting along with one another. There were disagreements, there was divisions, there was animosities, there were bad feelings between them, and the overall atmosphere among these believers could be best described as this unsettled restlessness. Look back in chapter 3, the context here, verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then he goes right on here to say, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. So this would be a good place to forget about the chapter break. Sometimes it gets in the way. It's misleading because James was not introducing a new subject here in chapter 4. He was simply bringing his thoughts on the subject of disorder and division and a lack of peace to this grand crescendo. He's bringing it to a head. And so James wanted to help these Christians get along with each other, and so he he stepped into the fray like a parent stepping into a squabble between two children, and he simply asked the question, why are you fighting? And before they could answer, he told them that they fight for the same reason that children fight. We're just big kids who fight and fuss when we don't get what we want because we haven't learned to ask for it right. The outward conflicts that we have with each other are actually the result of inward conflicts within ourselves. And so here we see how James exposed the three causes of conflicts among Christians, which reveals that the real battlefront is in our hearts. That's where the battle is really going on. And so what are these three causes of conflict. Well, in verse 1, he says they're uncontrolled passions. Number 2, in verse 2, unfulfilled pleasures. And thirdly, at the end of chapter verse 2 and into verse 3, we see unanswered prayers. And so these are the three causes of conflict. First of all is uncontrolled passions. 
And you could simply say, we want it. We want something. That's what he's talking about. We want something. Notice he says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? And so James asked two rhetorical questions, questions that he didn't expect an answer to because he was going to give an answer to himself. But he says, what is the source of quarrels? This is a a general term here for war, uh, the ongoing battles that you face. And then conflicts are more the individual battles, the skirmishes or the scuffles. And so he's saying, listen, what, what is the source of all the skirmishes and the scuffles that take place in your marriage, in your home? In the workplace, in your subdivision, what, what, what caught, where's that all come from? He says, is not the source, the root, your pleasures that wage war in your members? Here he's talking about the sinful, sensual desires of our hearts, our lusts. It's the word here in the Greek, hedonon, where we get the word what? Hedonism which the hedonism is basically your highest goal uh, is to satisfy your pleasures, right? Uh, That word is used oftentimes to describe uh, who we were like before we were saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's how we lived our lives. And... uh, Again, these desires are mentioned multiple times in the scriptures, uh, this, this uh, concept of pleasures and lusts. First um, John 2.15 is probably the most insightful when it comes to assessing these desires, these pleasures, which wage war within us. First John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world and the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so here John categorizes every sinful desire um, or pleasure uh, into the three most common sinful desires. They can all fit into one of these three categories. There's pleasures, there's possessions, there's position. There's the lust of the flesh which is the controlling desire for sensual pleasure, for ease, for comfort, for physical gratification. You see this sin manifested through uh, unbridled sex, uh, gluttony, laziness, entertainment. That's all the lust of the flesh, physical gratification, anything related to physical, making your body feel good. Uh, Then there's lust of the eyes, which is the controlling desire for profit or material things, Um, Again, anything that has to do with seeing stuff and wanting stuff, right? That's the lust of the eyes. Um, you see that sin manifest by overworking, um, debt, uh, stealing, right? All that to get more, right? Greed would fit under that category, uh, lust of the eyes. And then there's the pride of life, which is the controlling desire to be great, to be accepted, uh, to be approved by others, to be in control, to be recognized, to be respected, to be regarded as successful, And, of course, we see this manifested in pride. Um, Again, uh, neglecting family to to get ahead, uh, to gain a reputation, um, to to worry about how you look, 
Sometimes people are obsessive with exercise because it's all about the pride of life and they want people to, they want man's approval, they want people to notice how good they look, Um, anorexia even, things like that, that's a manifestation of the pride of life, right, because you're concerned about what other people think of you, Um, uh, a a fear to stand up for what's right, Uh, peer pressure, giving into peer pressure would be a manifestation of of the pride of life. And so he says, uh, these are these, these, these pleasures that, that, uh, that wage war in our members. That phrase, wage war there, is talking about soldiers. The idea there is soldiers marching around inside of us. It's like we got these, this, this little enemy army marching around inside of us, right? Waging war against us. And they, they, our sinful desires are constantly carrying on this bloody campaign to satisfy themselves, and, and they declare war on anyone or anything that stands in their way of being satisfied. First Peter 2.11 talks about abstaining from fleshly lusts, which wage war against our souls, right? As aliens and strangers, we're to abstain from those fleshly lusts, which wage war against our, what does it say? Souls. That's inside. But then he also says this, is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. In other words, the parts of your body. And so our, our desires use the parts of our bodies to get gratification, whether it's our minds, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet, our sexual organs, you name it, you fill in the blank, right? It, 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 is, our, it is the manifestation of these things through, through our bodies. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 talks about this. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, don't lend your eyes or your ears, your mouth, whatever, to, to, to sin. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members, the members of your body, that your body parts, uh, as instruments of righteousness to God. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 7, 23. He says, I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. In other words, I know it's right, but there's this part of me that that is, is fighting against that, right? The members of my body want to sin, even though my mind and my heart know I shouldn't. Paul's admitting that, that internal struggle. And then Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. In other words, your flesh is that, the, it's, it's our carcass, if you will, <laughs> for lack of a better term. It's our, it's our body that has, that has been trained by sin, right, to do sinful things. And so James is talking about the, the members of our body here. And so the point is that our hearts, our hearts are a battlefield of unbridled passions and desires that are fighting to be satisfied and they need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we don't have the power in and of ourselves to control these things. We need to be energized by the Spirit's power within us. And so James wants us to understand that there's these uncontrolled pleasures or I should say uncontrolled passions that we have that are at the root of the arguments that we get into, the fights we have 
Um, there's these uncontrolled passions. Secondly, there's unfulfilled pleasures. Unfulfilled pleasures. So notice the beginning of verse 2. He says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So see the, the, the connection here, or uh, the, prog- the progression maybe is the better word here. The progression is you've got these things that you want, right? The, the, these pleasures that wage war in your members, and you want them, but you don't get them. And you're envious, and you can't obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. So the point is you've got these uncontrolled passions, which oftentimes result in unfulfilled pleasures. We don't get it, and so we fight for it or we fuss about it. It's basically how we respond, right? We either fight for it, I'm going to get this no matter what, or we fuss about it. That word lust is the word for desires, things we long for. It's the same word that was used in the, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament to translate the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not lust or desire for. And again, breaking the Tenth Commandment, right, if you covet, um, that leads to breaking all the other commands, right? You end up murdering people to get what they have, committing adultery, uh, lying, disobeying your parents, whatever it is that you want to have. You're coveting something, you're desiring something, and you got to get it, and so you're willing to break other commands to get to it, right? He says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain. You're jealous. There, there's there's this, this hot desire to possess something, You're boiling with envy at those who have something that you don't or achieve something that you haven't. And so when you jealously desire something and don't get it, the results are devastating. You quarrel, you fight, and he even said you murder. And we know that that hating is just as bad as killing, right? Jesus said that, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Billy's teaching through that with the young people. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount and how uh, calling somebody a jerk, right, in Jesus' mind was as bad as killing them, right? Because there's hate in your heart towards that person. Cain and Abel would be a a classic example. Back in Genesis chapter 4, Cain wanted the approval of God, wanted God to uh, approve his offering as he did his brother Abel, and because his brother got what he didn't get, What did he end up doing? Murdering his brother. And so there's an example of of somebody lusting and not getting, and so they commit murder. William Barclay, who is a a, a classic uh, commentator of old, describes this process uh, vividly. Listen to what he said. He said, the steps of the process are simple and terrible. A man allows himself to desire something. That thing begins to dominate his thoughts. He finds himself involuntarily thinking about it in his waking hours and dreaming of it when he sleeps. It begins to be what is aptly called a ruling passion. That's something that we always have to be sensitive to in our life. Do we have any ruling passions, passions, desires that rule over us, that dominate our lives? He begins to form imaginary schemes to obtain it. And these schemes may well involve ways of eliminating those who stand in his way. For long enough, all this may go on in his mind. Then one day, the imaginings blaze into action, and he may find himself taking the terrible steps necessary to obtain his desire. 
Every crime in this world has come from desire, which was first only a feeling in the heart, but which being nourished long enough came in the end to action. I think it's very appropriate when they talk about crimes of passion, right? Um, Although apparently they let people off easier with those crimes of passion because they they, they happened in the moment, right? Well, they didn't just happen in that moment. It was a process. And so the point is, don't set your desires on things that you can't have. You're only going to hurt yourself. And so as long as that desire lurks in your heart and you continue to feed it and nurse it, it will only grow stronger with time and will eventually explode in some sinful, destructive act. And so when we don't get what we want, we get frustrated, we get disappointed, and our frustration mounts and eventually erupts in some sort of conflict or fight, whether it's a desire for appreciation, a desire for food, a desire for sex, a desire for affection, a desire for respect, recognition, sleep, control, you fill in the blanks, which again, none of those desires that I've mentioned are necessarily sinful in and of themselves, are they? But they become sinful when they control us to the point that we're willing to sin to to get them. Or we sin when we don't get them. We become irritable. We become intolerant. We get mad about little things. We lash out at those around us. We, We talk about this often in our home, about how to discern idols in your heart. We, we all have idols in our hearts that we're bowing down to. And so one of the easiest ways to discern an idol is it's anything that you are willing to sin to get or you sulk about when you don't get it. That's, that's a good indication that you have an idol in your heart, that you're willing to sin to get it, or if you don't get it, you sit around and sulk about it. That's an idol in your heart. You've made something more important to you than God. You're probably aware that modern psychology has redefined many of the sinful desires of a person's heart as needs. There are certain needs that we have. This is based on Abraham Maslow's need-based theory of human personality. And if a person's needs aren't met then somehow they're justified, it appears, at least in some of the things that are being written today uh, in, in, the, in the genre of helping, for example, marriages. If there are certain needs that aren't being met, uh, then there is a justification to fulfill those needs in sinful ways because they're legitimate needs, right? There's a classic or a very popular book called His Needs, Her Needs, um, which basically says that, how to affair-proof your marriage. And if here's, here's the top five guy needs. Here's the top five girl needs. This is what ladies need. This is what guys need. And as long as you meet each other's needs, you'll affair-proof your marriage. Well, listen, I don't know about you, but all my needs aren't always met in my marriage, right? All your needs aren't always met in your marriage. I don't care how on your game you are as a husband or wife, right? There's always something lacking. We talked about that last week. There's a reason for that. Because God didn't ordain marriage just to make us happy, but to make us holy. And there's a lot of sanctification that goes on in that. And so the the point is, I'd be okay with that concept, right? 
um, I, I would rather they had called that book His Desires and Her Desires. Because there are some, some strong desires that guys have, and there's some, some strong desires that women have, and every wise, godly husband is going to want to be sensitive to his wife's desires, the desires that women have, and every godly, uh, you know, servant-hearted wife is going to want to be sensitive to the, the, the desires that husbands have, that, that men have. There should be a sensitivity to those things. But when it comes down to it, there's only really three legitimate needs. What are they? Air. <laughs> I just thought of that one, air. We need air. But I was thinking about food, water, and shelter, right? 1 Timothy 6, 8 talks about uh, these needs. 1 Timothy 6, 8. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. That's all we need. Everything beyond those needs, right, may be classified as desires, so there's certain things that maybe you've always thought you need to have. You don't need to have it. You desire it. It's okay. You desire it. There's nothing wrong with that desire. And, and, and the question is, what do you do when that desire goes unmet, goes unfulfilled? See, that's when our faith gets put to the test, doesn't it? When, when we need to trust God and run to Christ... To find our fulfillment and satisfaction in Him. And to learn to pray, thank you, right? When, when that, a desire is unmet, you're not getting what you want. Instead of fussing about it, right? Fighting about it or fussing over it, how about praying about it? And how about praying this simple prayer in the quietness of your own heart where you know the battle is raging ultimately? It's not really between you and your spouse or you and your kid or you and your brother or sister or you and your boss. Right, or you and your neighbor, the real issue is what's going on in your heart. So how about praying this, thank you, Jesus, for being all I need. Thank you, Jesus, for being all I need. I, I don't need whatever it is I'm wanting that I'm not getting. Thank you, Jesus, that you're all I need, and I have you, and that's enough. I mean, that's practical, isn't it? Well, that brings us to the third cause of conflict and, and, and talking about prayer, right? Uh, it, it's not only uncontrolled passions and unfulfilled pleasures, but it's unanswered prayers. Unanswered prayers. We don't get, we, we want something, we don't get it. And the reason why we don't get it is because we don't ask for it. And if we do ask for it, we don't ask for it rightly. Notice what James says here. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not, what? Ask. So this is always convicting when we might be having a discussion as a couple, and my wife will simply say, have you prayed about this yet? Have you prayed about this? Have you been praying about this? It's like, game over. That's it. How do you trump that? There's nothing you can say after that. It's just like convicting. It's like, yeah, you're right. I haven't prayed about this. So we really shouldn't even be talking about this until I spend some time praying about it or until we spend some time praying about it, right? You know you're in trouble if you got into a situation that you haven't prayed about. Those typically don't go so well. Have you figured that out yet? Typically doesn't go real well. 
It's always better to pray up before maybe a, a conversation you might want to have. And hopefully there'll be less conflict when you come with an attitude of prayer. But he says, you don't ask. You're so busy lusting and coveting and fighting that you don't pray about it. And so instead of surrendering your passions to God, you get involved in a smackdown with whoever isn't giving you what you want. Whether you're a two-year-old, a 20-year-old, or an 80-year-old, right? And if we pray, notice he says, you ask. There were some who did ask, and they didn't receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives. Well, that's just the, that just really exposes your heart right there. That it's all about you, even in the presence of God. And it's one thing when it's all about you when you're dealing with the people in your life, right? But then when you go into the presence of God and it's all about you, you got big problems. You're selfish. He says you, you, you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, you, you want God, right, to satisfy your cravings. You're not thinking about anyone else but yourself. And so and instead of asking God to do what he wants, we tell him to do what we want. And we're good at that, right? Sometimes we, we want something and we don't get it. And so we go to God and say, hey, God, I really want this. Would you get this for me? Well, I don't think I need to tell you God hates self-centered prayers. And he's not about to answer, right, those of us who come into his presence and pray selfish prayers. Psalm 66, 18, right, says that God will not hear our prayers. If, if, if we have iniquity, sin in our hearts, he'll not hear our prayers. Now, we know God hears every prayer, right? The, the point is he won't answer those prayers. How about back in James 1, verse 7? For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. Listen, if you're not right with the Lord, you shouldn't expect God to answer any of your prayers. Why? Because God only promises to answer those prayers that are prayed according to his will. Prayer is not about what we want, it's about what God wants, right? Right? So the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done here on earth. And so we need to pray for what he wants, not what we want. God, I believe God does want to grant us the desires of our hearts, not the sinful desires, right? We said some of these things we're talking about are not sinful desires until they overtake us and they cause us to sin, right? Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God is gracious. God is kind. And oftentimes he gives us exactly what we want because he loves us and he cares for us and he, he, he meets those desires. I was going to say needs, right? But he meets those desires. He fulfills those desires. Sovereignly, lovingly, he chooses to do that at times. And when he does, be thankful. Thank him. And, and when he doesn't, trust him, Right? The key is delighting yourself in the Lord, right? And I think how we express delight in the Lord is to come into his presence and say, Lord, would you make me want what you want? Make me want what you want. Make your desires my desires. 
And so I think it's okay to pray for things that we want. We just have to make sure that they're the right kind of requests with the right kind of motives, with the right kind of reasons, for the right reasons. The right requests for the right reasons. And these people in James, they were, they were not asking for the right kinds of things and for the right reasons. And I would just say this, and I think this is, this is helpful for us just to think about, that instead of complaining that God doesn't give us what we want, instead of whining and fussing in the presence of the Lord, which sometimes we do, right? We should be thanking him and praising him that he doesn't gratify all our desires. But in his wise, sovereign love, he denies many of them. Why? Because he knows that if we had everything we ever wanted, all of our, 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 our every wish fulfilled, we wouldn't need him. We wouldn't need Jesus, right? That would end up hurting us, not helping us. That would ultimately destroy us. You all heard the, the, the story in Greek mythology of, of King Midas, right? We, we know it today as the Midas touch. And he was given a, a, a one request by a god, and he said, I, I'll do for you whatever you want. And King Midas had a, had a, a greed. He was a greedy king, and he, he had a lust for gold. And he said, I want that everything I touch would turn to gold. And the god kind of raised an eyebrow and said, you sure about that? <laughs> Have you really thought this through, what that means for you? And he said, oh, yeah, I, that's what I want. And he said, Okay. And he gave him the supernatural ability, right, to anything he touched turned to gold. And so he, the first thing he did, he went home and he told his, 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 his people to, to put out a huge feast to celebrate. And the moment he grabbed that piece of bread to put in his mouth, it turned to gold. The moment he, he grabbed that goblet to drink something, it turned to gold. Couldn't eat. And then his daughter came into the room, his beloved daughter, and he embraced her. And guess what happened to her? She turned to gold. And he found out really quickly that he wished he had never asked for that, right? How can I undo this request? And so, again, the thought here is that God is gracious not to give us everything we desire. Because sometimes the things we desire are not best for us. And we have to leave that in the sovereign control of God. Warren Wiersbe is often helpful in thinking through a passage and listen to what he said, and I think this is so good. He said, quote, people who are at war with themselves because of selfish desires are always unhappy people. That's like, okay, let's close in prayer, right? I mean, seriously, that is so good. People who are at war within themselves because of selfish desires are always unhappy people. They never enjoy life. Instead of being thankful for the blessings they do have, they complain about the blessings they don't have. They cannot get along with other people because they're always envying others for what they have and do. They're always looking for that magic something that will change their lives when the real problem is within their own hearts. Sometimes we use prayer as a cloak to hide our true desires. But I prayed about it. Can be one of the big excuses a Christian can use. Instead of seeking God's will, we tell God what he's supposed to do, and we get angry at him if he does not obey. This anger at God eventually spills over, and we get angry at God's people. More than one church split has been caused by saints who take out their frustrations with God on the members of the church. 
Many a church or family problem would be solved if people would only look into their own hearts and see the battles raging there. That's where the battle is fought. And so the key to winning the war within, right? Or I should say the key to winning the battle on the outside is winning the battle on the inside, right? And so the next time you find yourself in a conflict, a quarrel, a disagreement, a skirmish, a scuffle with any other person on this planet, right? Stop and think, okay, what did I want? Because I know this is really ultimately not about this thing on the outside, it's this thing on the inside. And my mouth is simply speaking out of the overflow of my heart, so what's going on in my heart? What did I want that I didn't get? Because that's really the issue. What did you want that you didn't get? So ask yourself that question. Train yourself to ask yourself, okay, what? Okay, I'm arguing, I'm fighting, uh, it's not going real good, there's no peace right now. Why is that? Well, there's something that I wanted in my heart that I didn't get. And then the second thing is ask yourself, well, what should you have done when you didn't get it? What should you have done when you didn't get it? What, what are the biblical alternatives, right? Because right now you're taking the sinful alternatives, which is fighting about it, or you went off to sulk about it, right? Those are sinful alternatives. What are the biblical alternatives? The first thing you need to do is what? According to this passage is pray. Talk to God about it. And a great prayer would be say, God, not my will, but your will. Not what I want, but what you want. And I think that's uh, just always a, a humble prayer to pray. And so, obviously, all this is impossible, right? Unless we're energized by the Spirit's power within us and motivated by Christ's love for us. And uh, he died that we who live should no longer live for ourselves, right? But for him who loves us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word and how practical it is in our lives as we uh, deal with life and the fights and the conflicts that uh, inevitably come into all of our lives whether it's in our home or in the workplace or um, in our subdivision or even here at the church, Lord, we thank you that uh, you've given us insight into our own hearts so that we can deal with these issues where they really start and, and deal with the root and not just the, the, the fruit. And so, Lord, help us all to be good examiners of our own hearts, uh, good soul doctors, Lord, where we can self-examine, self-diagnose, uh, what's going wrong in a given situation. Help us to learn to do that more quickly so that conflicts that we do get into can be shorter rather than longer instead of them lasting for months or weeks or even a few days. They can last a few hours or even a few minutes or best even just a few seconds because we're just so quick to see uh, in, in, inside and what is actually going on and we're humble enough to admit what's happening. And so, Lord, help us with this by your grace that you provide us in Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.